Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here in the house. And of course, if you're watching online, we love you and thank you for joining us also online uh, today. Hey, let me just uh, remind you again, this event, not this Monday, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, Jay Warner Wallace is going to be here. Man, this is a very special thing. You know, he is a... uh, a cold case detective from LA. We're bringing him here just for our church. And really he's gonna help us to uh, answer questions that you may have. I'm gonna interview him for about uh, 30, 45 minutes. Then we're gonna open up questions from the floor. And so it's a great time, a great way to get answers to spiritual questions. So you need to come just because you need to grow and you're going to be encouraged by what he has to say, but you may have teenagers, you need to be sure that they're here. You may have college students, you need to be sure they're here. Uh, You may have friends that have questions, you need to bring them as well. It's going to be a great environment to just dive into the evidence of of biblical reliability of the the, um, Easter account, the resurrection, the gospel, and a lot of other areas we're going to get into. So be sure and make that a priority April the 19th. Now today what we're doing is we're, we're starting a new series, Jesus is Greater. And I hope you got your t-shirt and all that kind of thing because it's gonna be a great, great series. But let me start off with a question. Do you pray for the people in your life? Now, of course, you're probably thinking, well, oh, yeah, duh, of course I pray for the people in my life. I pray for my, my wife and kids or my husband. I pray for my friends. I pray for my family. But, but how do you pray for them? You know, most of the time when we're praying for, for people that are close to us, it's kind of like, God bless them, God be with them, God help them, that, that kind of prayer. But, but there is a way to pray that has great impact on their life. In fact, what I'm going to show you today is a way to pray that's right out of God's word that I I guarantee you, you will pray differently this week based on what you hear in this message, okay? So I want you to take your Bible. I want you to open up with me to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is what we're going to talk about uh, today. And uh, as you're turning there, we're just going to jump right into chapter 1, verse 1. I went a little long last service, so I'm trying to tighten things up, all right? So lucky you. Uh, Anyway, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, this is the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, right away, as we dive into this book, we're going to be in this book for several weeks. Uh, Right away, we learn who's writing this letter. And his name is Paul. You may circle the name Paul. Uh, Most of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a religious man, he was a religious leader, he was a Pharisee. Uh, He started off hating Christians. He he saw Christianity as some kind of aberrant view of Judaism that needed to be stomped out. And so he personally stalked and attacked Christians. And he went after them to imprison them. He went after them to kill them. In fact, he was uh, complicit in the death of the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen. So he was was zealous to stomp out 
uh, the Christian faith, and yet he had this dramatic encounter where he met Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, on his way to Syria, on the way to Damascus, and, and there his life was changed. Like in a moment, he went from being a murderer of Christians to being a, a missionary that, that planted churches. I mean, I guess you could say he went from Bin Laden to Billy Graham, okay? Just kind of like that. I, I would say that's a change. Would you agree with that? Uh, that's a little bit of a change. And so here he is now, he's, he's older, he is imprisoned in Rome for sharing the gospel, for planting churches, for preaching about Jesus. Most scholars believe that he was literally chained to a Roman soldier. And you would think that Paul would have been really discouraged about that and, and maybe really you know, hating on God because of allowing this to happen, but that's not at all his attitude. Even though he was not free to go plant churches, he was not free to go preach the gospel as he had done before, he was free to write letters. And that's exactly what Paul did. In that Roman imprisonment, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus that you have in your Bible called Ephesians. He, has a, he wrote a letter to the church of Philippi that's in your Bible called the book of Philippians. He wrote a, book to, a letter to a friend named Philemon that's called Philemon in your New Testament. And he also wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, which is called the book of Colossians which we're studying now. Most people don't realize the books of the New Testament are simply letters you know, to Christians that are struggling with things and they're learning how to live the Christian life. Uh, Paul didn't sit down and say, I'm gonna write the New Testament. He just wrote letters that were compiled this way. And so here he is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. He also mentions Timothy. You might circle that name. Timothy was a young pastor that Paul was training to be a church planter. Timothy was often known for his timidity, his kind of a sickly, uh, sickly um, uh, physical nature. He was often intimidated uh, by other people, but he went on to be a great, bold leader of the gospel. He ended up pastoring the church in Ephesus, which was a powerful, very um, a strong church there. And most likely, Timothy is, is writing down the letter as Paul is dictating it. This was his pattern. He would dictate letters and then someone would write it down for him. Sometimes he would sign it with his own handwriting at the end. He would say, see, I'm writing in my own hand at the end, kind of his signature. But most likely he is dictating this letter and Timothy is there writing this down for him, this letter. So, and he's writing to the church at Colossae. So what do we know about this church at Colossae? Well, Colossae was a city that was about 100 miles inland from the city of Ephesus. In fact, let me just put up here a map so you can see it. You can see there's Asia Minor, all right? And then you see Ephesus there on the West Coast. Ephesus was a port city much like what Boston or Seattle uh, might be. It was a thriving uh, port city. Colossae is due, due east there, about 100 miles. Colossae was positioned right along east-west trade routes. And so there were a lot of people coming from the east, people coming from the west, uh, coming to stay and do business in Colossae. So it was kind of a melting pot of different cultures, different ideas. You might think of a, a New York City or a Chicago or any big city in the United States that has just about every kind of people imaginable. They would be uh, the kind of people in Colossae. Now, here's what's interesting. The Apostle Paul never went to Colossae that we know of. He did not plant the church in Colossae. So many people say, well, how did this church even get started? And that's a really good question. 
from what we can kind of piece together, here's what we think happened. That there was a man named Epaphras, and Epaphras was from Colossae, but he had traveled to Ephesus. And while Epaphras was in Ephesus, he met the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul planted the church in Ephesus. It exploded in growth. God was using it in an incredible way. Miraculous things were happening. And not only did Paul plant the church in Ephesus, but he stayed there for two years, training and discipling and developing leaders. Now, here's the deal. Epaphras leaves Colossae and he goes to Ephesus. He comes to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry. He's discipled and trained under Paul. And then he went back to his hometown, to his family, his friends, and told them what Jesus had done for them. And that's how the church got started. The church wasn't started by a professional a missionary or a professional church planter or a pastor or somebody who went to seminary. It was just a guy who had been saved and told people what Christ had done for him. And this is a great illustration of what God wants to do in all of us, right? You don't have to have so many degrees on the wall for God to use you. Praise God for that, right? Uh, he wants to use you just the way that you are. In fact, you may be the very person that God has set apart to reach the people that only you can reach. And that was Epaphras. He went back and he started this church. And so what happened then is that Epaphras goes to Rome and he finds the Apostle Paul in prison. And he tells him about this church he started and what's happening in that church. And Paul decided to write a letter to this church in Colossae, this people that he had never met, these people he'd only heard of, but he knew Epaphras. Okay, so that's really how it started. And I just love how he starts it off. You look at verse two, to the saints in Christ at Colossae. He calls the people in that church saints. Now, when we think of saints, we think of uh, kind of dead Christians, right? People that were really godly that died and uh, they've been now canonized by the Catholic church. But that is not what Paul means here. The word saint means holy ones, people set apart for God's work. And what he's saying is, hey, you Christians in Colossae, in this very uh, contemporary, very melting pot kind of town, you have been set apart by God to do his work in your city. Every single one of you, if you're in faith in Jesus, you're a saint. You've been set apart by him to represent him in your work and where you go to school, in your neighborhood. Every one of you is saints. So you can go home and say, call me St. Craig uh, this afternoon. Call me, call me St. Jill, all right? Uh, you can do that, all right? You know Jesus, you can do that, all right? Uh, have fun with that one, all right? And then he, then he just kind of shifts gears into encouraging this church. Again, he never met them, but now he's encouraging them. Look at verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel has come to you. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. So here's Paul. He's just going to encourage them, right? I love how he starts off just loving on them, just encouraging them. He's going to get into some heavy stuff, all right? But he starts off the letter just encouraging. Man, I've heard some great things about you. And I want you just to underline three words here that I just want to point out to you. In verse 4, underline the word faith. See that? And then underline again in verse four, the word love. And then in verse five, underline the word hope. Faith, hope, 
and love. Does that sound familiar to anybody, all right? If you study the Bible very much at all, you know that Paul loved these three words, right? They're kind of a triad that describe Christian character. And he's basically saying this, man, if we're seeing faith, hope, and love produced in you, then that's evidence that you're truly right with God. You've truly been born again. If you go to a wedding, you probably heard a message from the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And he says uh, at the end of it, there remains three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So Paul is saying, listen, I've heard that these three things are in your character. Look at what he says in verse four. He says, we've heard of your faith in Jesus. They had truly heard the gospel. They had heard that Christ died for their sin, uh, was buried, rose again on the third day, and they really, truly gave their life to Christ. You know, the week before uh, Easter, 300 more plus of us went out into the streets and we ministered to people and we loved on our community and we shared the gospel with lots of people. And uh, one of our women's groups was assigned or, or chose a ministry to unwed moms and they took care of this one mom and just gave her all kinds of food and baby clothes and diapers and all the stuff you need to take care of a little one. And as they were taking all this good stuff to her car, one of our ladies pulled her aside and just shared her story of being a mom and that she needed Jesus in her life and just shared her testimony, right? And then uh, she asked this lady if she had ever received Christ. And, and through the course of that conversation, she led that young mom to faith in Jesus, standing right there next to her car. And that's so cool. And, and that's exactly what happened with these Colossians, right? They just were, they'd heard the gospel in the moment that they needed and they responded in faith. He goes, look, you've got real faith. And that real faith has produced real love. Look at what he says here. He said, look at verse four, and of the love you have for the saints. In other words, listen to me, this is really important, okay? Um, if you truly have faith in Jesus, then one of the evidences of that is you will truly love God's people. You get that? One of the natural outflowing things of a changed heart is that you don't go, oh, those are those church people. I'm not really into that. I believe in Jesus, but yeah, not the church, not so much. No, no, you love God's people. And they loved not only the people in their church, but they loved other Christians too. And that became evident. So they had real faith, they had real love, and, and eventually that spilled out into real hope. He said, you have the hope of heaven in verse five. You've got this, you're living with eternity in mind. You know that heaven is your home. You know that you're headed there. And so he, basically what he's saying is you guys are the real deal, right? Epaphras is here. He's talking to me. He's telling me your stories. I'm sure Epaphras is like, man, let me tell you how this guy got saved. And then this person did this and this person did this. He's like, man, I'm hearing that you're the real deal. And you're really growing and you're showing these signs of life. How cool is that? And you know, as I was reading that, I was studying that this week, I literally, at this point, as I'm studying it, I kind of pushed back from the desk and I, and I said to myself, Craig, I talked to myself, uh, I, I said, uh, how did they get to be so mature? Right, how did they, I mean, they had no apostle that showed up to them. They didn't have a Bible, right? They just had a letter from Paul, as far as we know, that's all they had. How did they get so mature spiritually and shut such a short, period of time. And then I saw it. I saw it. Check this out. Look at verse seven. Check this out. And it says, uh, 
uh, verse 7. It says, you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Look at those words. You learn this from Epaphras. Here's a cool thing that you don't pick up in the English, but you pick up in the Greek. The word learned there is the same word translated elsewhere as disciple. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. The Greek word is mathetes. This is a derivative of that same word. In other words, you could translate it this way. You were discipled by Epaphras. That's how they got there. He not only had shared the gospel with them, but he discipled them. He invested in them. He poured his life into them. And they were showing signs of life and real life change. Listen, if you are a part of our church for any length of time, you know that this is a big deal to us, all right? We take very seriously this command of Jesus to go and make disciples. And so we have real, true disciple makers in our church. That is people that have been discipled by somebody, somebody's just invested in their life, shown them how to walk with God, reach their world, invested in a few, and then they've turned around and they've shown somebody else how to do that. And they've turned around and shown somebody else how to do that. We have people in our church that have eight generations deep of disciples in their life and influence. Isn't that amazing? That's just not heard of in most places. But, but we're taking that very, very seriously. In fact, just to illustrate that, all of our pastors are disciple makers. We're all investing in people and I've got a group too. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with my guys and I'm walking them through some of our stuff that we're doing. And, uh, and, and one of my guys said, man, I gotta show you this text I got from a guy that I know through work. And he pulls up his phone, he pulls up the, the text and the guy basically says his name. And he said, hey, I just want you guys to know that I've been really growing a lot in my faith recently. And uh, I'd love for you to join me and do this study. And the, the study is called Walk with God, which, which is a study that we produce, right? Now, this guy doesn't even go to our church, right? And so he's trying to get the guy that I'm discipling in his group to take him through the stuff that we started. And I'm like, how did he even get that, right? Well, that's the way it just happens. You know, one guy disciples somebody, disciples somebody else and there. And that's the way it works. And that's the way it worked there in Colossae. Epaphras, he just learned this stuff from Paul. He goes over and he just tells them what he's learned. And now they're telling somebody else what they've learned. And that's what God wants for every one of us. Listen, disciple making isn't just for the few and the elite. It's for everybody. The call to make disciples is for every believer. And the privilege to invest in others is for every believer. And the joy in investing in others is for every believer. And I wish every single person in this room was investing their lives in others because when you do that, you find the greatest joy in the Christian life. Epaphras, the reason why they were, they were so uh, mature in their faith is because Epaphras had invested in his life. And you know what? This is why we're talking about Epaphras 2,000 years later, right? Because he invested his life in these people and they were growing. And then you get to verse nine. Check out verse nine. For this reason also... Since the day we heard this, since we did, we heard about your faith, your hope, your love, you're the real deal, you've been growing in your faith, the Epaphras have been discipling you. From this day, we've heard this, since we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now stop right there. This is where I'm going to talk about prayer. All that I've said at this point has been introduction, okay? Like, wow, that was a long introduction, all right? But, but all that, now with that background, he's saying, all right, now that I know this about you, I've been praying for you. How cool would it be if the Apostle Paul said, I've been praying for you. Man, I'd be like, 
And I wonder what he prayed for. How is he praying for them? How is he praying for these new believers? He's gonna give us a model of how we should be praying for the people in our life. How we pray for those that we disciple. How we pray for our family, our kids, our family, uh, our, our husband, our wife, our parents. How do we pray for the people that really makes an impact? So he's gonna give us this model. And I want you to write this down. Three ways to pray, okay? And I'm gonna give them to you right here out of this passage. The first thing you do is you need to pray that they will know God's will. Pray that they will know God's will. Look at the end of verse nine. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Listen, all of us wanna know God's will, do we not? All of us wanna know God's will. And we wish that God would just drop it out of the sky right on our desk, boom, here it is. This is who you're supposed to marry. This is when you're supposed to have kids. This is where you're supposed to live. This is the career path that you're supposed to have. These are the decisions you're supposed to make. It would be great if God would just drop all that out. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's will is something we already have. You already know God's will. I mean, especially when I did college ministry, boy, college ministry, every other conversation is, oh, I just want to know God's will for my life, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was every conversation was about how do I know God's will? But listen, what I remember telling those young college students is God's already told you his will. It's right here. He's already told you everything you need to know. He's already told you who he is. He's already told you what he's done for you. He's already told you how you should live. He's already told you what kind of person he wants you to be, what your priorities should be, what your hope is, where your faith should be. He's already told you all of that. And many times we're, we're asking God to give us his specific will for our life when we have been ignoring the revealed will of God that he's already given us in his word. Now, this is not in the Bible, so this is Craig and I could be wrong, but I tend to think of it this way. God's saying, listen, uh, when you start give, doing what I've already told you, then I'll give you more information, all right? Uh, maybe we should start with what you already know. Let's start there. Are you doing what you already know? And so when you're praying for someone to know God's will, what you're really praying is, God, give them a hunger for your word. God, I pray for my my son, that you would give him a hunger for your word. I pray for my daughter, that she would desire your word. I pray that for my wife, my husband, my, the person I'm discipling, this guy at work that I care about, my good friend. God, I pray that you would give them a hunger and desire for your word. And that God, you would show them your word, show them your will uh, through your word so that they can see it. And not only through your word, but God lead them by your spirit so they know exactly what you want them to do. General Douglas MacArthur, uh, the just historic uh, general, World War II, he's, he prayed for his sons. One of the things he prayed was this, I pray that he would know thee, O God, and know himself as a foundation stone of knowledge. In other words, he said, I just pray, God, that my son would know you. I think that's how we should pray. We start off, you wanna pray impactfully for the people in your life. Pray that they would know and desire God's will for their life. Pray that their heart would be bent toward the things of God. Second thing that we're to pray, jot this down, is pray that they would live a life that pleases God. Look at verse 10. 
so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He said, pray not only that they would know and desire God's will that is in God's word, but pray that their lives would please God in every area of their life. He calls us to walk worthy of the Lord. Now, in one sense, none of us are worthy of the Lord, right? Everything we get from God is, is grace. So we're not trying to earn God's approval. We're not trying to walk in certain ways so that God will treat us differently or God will bless us more because we have all spiritual blessing in Christ when we come to him by faith. But what it does mean is you can live a life that just pleases God and honors him. You can do that. So he said, I want you to pray that you would live a life that pleases God. Let, let me ask you something. Is the way that you live, is the way you act on the job so different from other people that they clearly know you're a Christian? Are there things you're not going to do because they know, well, you're just Christian? Do people change their, their language when you walk in the room? Right? Do they go, oh, well, he wouldn't care about that because, hey, show him this thing on my phone. Oh, he's not going to look at that because he's one of those Christians, right? Or she's one of those Christians. That, that would probably be the greatest compliment that they could give you uh, because you're living differently. Put another way, if you were charged or accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you, right? It's that kind of question. And what he is saying is what you need to pray for these people that you care about is pray that they would please God in everything that they do. That they would say, God, am I pleasing you the way I talk to my wife? Is that pleasing my attitude toward her? Is that pleasing you? God, my attitude toward my husband, is that pleasing to you? The way I handled that situation in that conflict, did that please you? God, what I, where I went to on Saturday night, did that please you, God? The, the, the things that, that I say behind somebody's back, does that please you? What I looked at online, did that please you, God? Is my life really bringing pleasure to you, Father? That is a driving question. And it is a sign of spiritual maturity. When you really want to please God more than you want to please anybody else, and even more than you want to please yourself. And he said, pray that. It will push them toward, this worthy walk will push them toward godliness. It'll push, pull them, push them toward holiness. It'll push them toward doing good works. And he said, the end result of this is that you will grow in your knowledge of God. That, that's not a, like head knowledge. I'm going to know more theology. It's that I know him. I'm going to really know God in a deep and personal and intimate way. Let me just say, this, this is, uh, I really believe this, folks. I believe if you go through your Christian life, okay, you're a Christian, but you go through your Christian life saying no to God all the time. He convicts you of something that you're doing wrong and you blow it off and you keep doing it. Or he prompts you to do something. You go, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna keep doing what I want. And you just keep saying no to God. No, 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 no. That what you will be, you'll be Christian in name, but you will not know him. And you'll go to church and you'll live just like everybody else and there will be no passion and no love for God in your heart. But if you are sensitive to his spirit and when he convicts you, you confess it and change. And, and when he prompts you to serve or to do something and you say, yes, God, of course, I'll do whatever you want. And you have this open heart to say, God, I just wanna please you today. 
And my friends, what you'll find is day after day, if you walk down that road, you're going to know him more and more and more and more. And when you step out of this world into glory, you're just going to take your relationship to a whole nother level. See, that's what God wants. So he said, pray this. Pray that you will know, they will know God's will for their life and they'll desire it. Pray that they would live lives that please God more than anything else. And then here's the last one, and this one may surprise you because it's not how we normally pray. And that is pray that they will endure hardship with joy and thankfulness. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that they may have great endurance and patience joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Paul did not pray that these Colossian Christians would have an easy life. He didn't say, Lord, protect them from hardship. He didn't say, Lord, protect them from crisis. Isn't that interesting? Paul never prayed for their protection. He prayed for their perseverance. He said, Lord, when the hard times come, and by the way, are they gonna come, yes or no? Uh, that's, everyone says, yes, right? They're coming. They're coming for you. They're coming for your kids. They're coming for your family. Hard times are gonna come. We're not gonna escape hard times this side of heaven. So he said, I'm praying for you that when the hard times come, when the discouragement comes, when the persecution comes, that you will endure it faithfully and endure it with joy because you know God's with you. And then when you get on the other side of the hard time, that you will be so thankful that God brought you through. You know, we don't think that way as American Christians. We don't think about enduring hardship. But that's how he prayed. Pray that, that the people in your life will endure it and trust God in it. You know, I had a, uh, a luncheon with some uh, people from our church this week, and it was so sweet. We uh, basically just went around and talked about... Uh, how they came to First Colville and what they love about our church. Every single one of them talked about a hardship or a crisis that they endured while they're members here and how God had been so faithful to care for them and heal them and watch over them and how our church had ministered to them in that crisis. I mean, we had church, man. We had a worship service right there. It was so encouraging. That's what God wants, for you to be faithful and endure even in the hard times. So, so he said, this is how I pray for you. I pray that you know and desire God's will. I pray that you would live a life that pleases God every single day, that that would be on the forefront of your mind. And I pray that when hard times come, that you would endure it and trust God in it and be joyful. And then he wraps up with these just incredible, incredible words that we close off with today. He said, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred in the kingdom of the, of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, he, he just wraps up with the gospel. He said, listen, the reason why we can pray this way, the reason how we pray this way is because you've been changed. He said, Colossians, what I know about you, what Epaphras has told me about you is that your life has been changed. And let me just remind you what happened when you gave your life to Christ, when you heard the gospel that God sent his son to die for you, that even though you're sinful and wicked and far from God and pursuing all these other things that God sent his only son and he died on a cross for you and he went to a grave and three days later he rose again and you heard that, remember? You heard that gospel and you were saved. He said, when that happened, you were rescued. You were rescued from the domain of darkness. 
And you were transferred in the kingdom of his son and you brought from darkness to light and from dead to alive. And you've been redeemed and you've been forgiven and you've been changed. And he said, that's what's happened to you. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever let this get get mundane, get it stale. Don't let it get stale. He said, this has happened in your life. Let me ask you something, has this happened to you? Have you been changed? You know, remember Paul that wrote this letter, he had been dramatically changed. And now he's writing to these Colossian Christians and he said, you've been dramatically changed. But here's a real question, have you been dramatically changed? We don't understand, Pastor, I mean, I grew up in church. I, I didn't ask you if you grew up in church. Well, I've read my Bible. Well, awesome. I'm glad you do that. But have you been changed? Really? Honestly? Are you a, do you desire to please God? Do you have faith, hope, and love bubbling out of your life? And if not, then that change starts today. It starts now. I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. And just in these few moments, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to say, God, change my heart. God, change my heart. And maybe you've never really had an encounter where you've dealt with your own sinfulness and your own need for forgiveness. But I want to give you that chance right now. This may be your last chance. And I don't say that in a manipulative way. I just say that in an urging way. That you don't ever know what tomorrow holds. And this is your moment. And God has been so gracious and kind to you. He's brought you to a church to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. Don't miss it. So with your heads bowed, if you'd say, Pastor, I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. I want to ask Christ into my life. I want to nail this thing down. I want to be changed. Then I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith here in just a minute. And I want you just right now, lift up here and say, Pastor, pray for me. And I will just pray for you. I'm not going to call you out, but this will help me know that God's at work in your heart. And I'm just going to lead you through a simple prayer of faith. So right now, say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Lift up your hand right now. Just lift it up so I can see it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Who else? Lift up your hand right now. God's working in your heart. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. All right. Thank you. Pastor, I need to get this right. I need to get this right. Anybody else, don't hesitate. If he's drawn in your heart right now, then lift up your hand, lift it up. Anybody else? Okay, great. All right, thank you. You can put your hand down. I just want you to pray this simple prayer with me. God sees your heart, God knows your heart. So just pray this with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way and I need you. So I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please change me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. And so right now, I am placing my faith in Jesus. And I wanna live a life that pleases you. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for forgiving me. Amen.